thank you. Would this work? All right. I may use it, so hang on. The miracle of the day may be me standing still right here. My, uh, for some reason, the uh, mic I normally use is not picking up. And so uh, I will try this, but if I get a little antsy, you'll see me start doing this. No, I'm going to grab this, all right? And we'll go with that. Oh, what a day. What, what songs, what, I mean, just singing to the Lord. And then to close it out with that amazing grace, my chains are gone. Uh, what a great not just theological truth, although it is that, but what a great practical truth that we've been set free by the grace of God, we who are in Christ, and we have no fear of bondage ever again. Because as Paul said in Romans 8, 1, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is what one of the verses that the choir sang out of uh, uh, it as well is based on. I mean, this is just about as good as it can get as far as I'm concerned. I'm thankful for the, the uh, uh, youth uh, praise team that led us a little bit. I uh, can't wait to tell Todd when he gets back that it took three guitarists to replace him over here, uh, that uh, one was just not enough. So uh, appreciate you guys filling in and helping out there today and, and Madison and helping lead those songs also. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We are now to verse 9 of chapter 5 after about 10 weeks. And uh, we will pick up a little bit once we get out of the Beatitudes. It'll, we won't just do one verse at a time. We'll have maybe two on some Sundays. And uh, we'll move much quicker. That'd be twice as quickly through the Sermon on the Mount if we can use two, two verses a week. And we might even hit three one Sunday. We've seen in the, in the Beatitudes, we've seen in all of these blessed are statements that our Lord has made, that he's not talking about the way to become a Christian. He's not talking about the way you can earn favor with God. He's not saying, boy, if you'll work hard and be poor in spirit and mourn and be meek and gentle and, and hunger and thirst for righteousness, be merciful, be pure in heart, be peacemakers that we'll look at today. He's not saying if you can do all that stuff, then you'll be able to be right with God. But what Jesus is doing is he's giving us an understanding of what the character and the nature of a Christian is really like. What happens when the grace of God sets you free from those chains? What happens when the grace of God becomes the, the integral part of your life that touches you and changes you and by faith you respond and you say, Lord, God, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I, I need your presence in every way. Jesus is saying when that begins to happen, then these are the kind of things that you will see as a reality in your life. They may not all be perfect from the beginning. Matter of fact, they won't be perfect from the beginning. I, I dare say with none of us in this room this morning, they will be perfect in this lifetime. Because we're all in that process of sanctification. We're all in that process of growth whereby God takes us from where we were. Indeed, as the old hymn says, just as I am, I come to you. He takes us from where we were to where we are to where we will yet be when we stand in his presence, glorified and completely changed in the presence of God. I mean, I mean, this is what Jesus is saying, though. He's saying 
this will become a part and parcel of your character in this life. And so you will hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God. You will be hungry and you will be thirsty, not just for water physically, but for the spiritual things of God. You will hunger and you will thirst as a way of life. Then he comes to verse 9. Excuse me, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Perhaps no one of the Beatitudes has been more misunderstood and perhaps even more abused by well-meaning people within Christendom as has this one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or daughters or children, technon of God. They shall be known as the family of the living God. You know, one of the things that predicates this, that you have to understand first, is that God, our God, is a God of peace. You know, you look at the scripture and some people say, well, well, there are places in the scripture that look so peaceful. There are places in scripture where he, he says, go in and take the city. He says, go in and destroy and, and tear down. Go in and destroy every idol and, and every false god that there is. I mean, there are times when you look at the scripture and you say, well, God doesn't seem very peaceful. But the scripture makes very clear that he is a God of peace. Romans 15, 33, when the Apostle Paul is drawing that great manifesto of the Christian faith to a close, at the last verse of chapter 15, before he does his greetings and final exhortations in chapter 16, he says, now the God of peace be with you all. Or to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and the God of peace will be with you. Or the Philippian Christians, when he wrote them and he said, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, I could go on in the New Testament. I could go back to the Old Testament. I could show where God is declared by the clear teaching of his word that he is a God of peace. But what does that mean? What is peace? What do you think about this morning when I, when I say the word peace or I, I talk about God being a God of peace or that we as Christians are to be known as peacemakers? What do you think about? Do you think about no war? You know, if you just read the history books, you'll find that, the, uh, that our globe has not known peace at all throughout recorded history and even in our own day because there is war taking place. So, so we, we don't know what peace is sometimes because we see the opposite. Maybe you think of just no conflict. Maybe you draw it down closer to even in your home and you say, well, peace for me is not having arguments with my children or, or arguments with my mom and dad or arguments between mom and dad. I mean, you know, that, that peace for me is just no conflict in my immediate world. I don't care what's going on out there in the nations. It's what's happening right here in my own little world. Or maybe you think of peace as 
as what became famously known on the news several years ago as the Rodney King Doctrine. You know, can we all just get along? You know, and, and that's the idea. The problem with the idea of can't we all just get along is, is that there's, there's this issue that, that we get along no matter what. Let's put aside convictions. Let's put, put aside principles. Let's put aside what we would call truth and just live together in some kind of artificial harmony. I've got a friend who, who every time we've talked about this verse, he said, well, you know, you've got to understand they're peacemakers, they're peace breakers, and they're peace fakers. I don't know where he got that, but I, that's pretty good. You know, that, that there are peacemakers, and that's what Jesus is talking about here, and that's what we want to examine. And there are peace breakers. You've known people who just live to cause problems, don't you? You know people who like to just get in the middle of something and stir it up and raise all sorts of issues just for the sake of raising issues and, and try to see if they can't get brother against brother and sister against sister and, and some kind of conflict taking place, whether in an immediate family or in a church family or, or in the nation. They just like to cause trouble. I like Jesus immediately saying, a, a, a true disciple of his will not be a peace breaker, will not be one who constantly tries to stir up trouble just for the sake of stirring up trouble. And then there are peace fakers. How many times do the prophets say in the Old Testament, beware of those who cry peace, peace, when there is no peace? How many times did they say, beware of those who come acting as though they are peaceful and, and they want to just have everything just right when there's raging war? Raging conflict, raging disturbances all around them. You know people like that. They want to just cover over and gloss over whatever the problem is and say, listen, it's just no big deal. Let's just all get along. But that's a fake peace. That's not a true peace. I contend to you that the reason we have problems with peace in the world is one simple thing. It's a four-letter word, and it's called the fall. Ever since the fall of angels and the fall of man, the world has been established as a world without peace. Because you see what the fall did? The fall said, listen, I want what is best for me. That's what Adam and Eve said back in the garden. They said, we want to be like God. That'll be best for us. We, will, we want the knowledge of good and evil. And so they fell, putting themselves first, rather than acknowledging God is their authority. They said, I don't even own authority. I want to do my own thing. I want to be what I want to be. And so they put their own desires first. And when desires are put first, peace is always last. Desires call us, cause us to to cry out, meet my need, take care of me, give me what I want. And James even says that it's because of that desire that builds up within us that's a result of the fall. It's the desire to be preeminent. It's the desire to have my way that because of that, wars exist. Whether it's a nation or a family or individuals, when our desires are first, peace is always last. You know, peace is viewed in our time, nationally and internationally at least, as sort of being nothing more than a truce. Just a, hey, a ceasefire. 
let's come together and let's agree that, that, that we'll stop shooting at each other. We'll stop uh, trying to kill each other. We'll, we'll just have a ceasefire. We'll have a truce. All the issues that were there prior to the truce, all the issues that brought about the conflict are still there. But let's just kind of forget those for the moment and let's just get along. Let's don't shoot at one another. Let's cause a truce. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a, a peace that is far deeper, far greater, far more permanent, and far more effective than anything diplomacy or peacemaking from the world's vantage point will ever do. As a matter of fact, I think it's significant that Jesus follows verse 8 with verse 9. I think the, the order of the Beatitudes is not without reason. And, and I think it's significant that Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, see God in heaven, see God out around his throne, and see God in reality in their life right now. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have a holiness and a righteousness that comes by the indwelling spirit of God within their life. The, the people who have the, the purity of heart that comes from a cleansing that only God can do, they are prepared then to be peacemakers. Here's why. Peace is always found alongside of righteousness. You see, peace is far more than just the absence of conflict. The absence of conflict can be a peace fake. The absence of conflict can be a less gloss over those issues. Let's not deal with the, what the real issues are. Let's just act like we like each other. We may talk about each other behind each other's back. We may criticize each other behind the scenes. But as long as we give a public face, then everything's peaceful. Everything's all right. Jesus said that is not the peace that I want to bring. The peace that I bring and the peace that I give in, a, in my disciples' lives is a peace that is, is wrapped up not in just absence of conflict, but wrapped up in righteousness and holiness and indeed truth at the very heart of it. Do you remember the famous Jewish greeting? Paul uses it in his letters a lot. He uses the grace uh, the Greek and the, the, the Jewish greeting, grace and peace, karos, grace, and shalom, peace, the Greek and the, and the Hebrew statement of, of greeting there. And when, they, when the Jews would meet and they would say shalom, the, the basic meaning of that word shalom is peace, but it, it really carries with it an idea that's much greater than just saying absent of conflict. It, it's really saying more this, I'm wishing for you God's highest good. I'm wishing God's highest good to your life. Peace be with you because the peace of God is the greatest good that God can ever give. But this peace, this goodness of God, this highest good of God is lacking, again, because of the fall and because of sin entering the world. It's because truth has been ignored. Truth has not been the, the, the virtue that's upheld the greatest. That's why on Sunday evenings we're spending all these weeks, 13 sessions, 
together in homes in the evening studying the truth project, talking about what is God's truth and, and how does that affect our lives and how does that change us? Because any peace that is not built upon the truth of Almighty God is a peace that is passing at best and a peace that has no real foundation. So we see that this peace is found with righteousness and this peace is found with truth. You have to ask the question then, who is the peace giver? Can peace come from a pastor? No. Can peace come from, from, from a body within the body saying, well, we're just going to work hard and we're going to try to make everybody like each other? No. Peace, true peace, only comes from God. He is the giver of peace. And in reality, hear this clearly. This is very important. Not only for churches, not only for believers, but for our whole geopolitical world and understanding of all the, the geopolitics around this globe. Mankind lives without peace for one simple reason. And that is it's because they live apart from God. Mankind lives without peace because they live apart from God. Now, now, I realize, and I hope you realize, that God is everywhere. God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. That is, he's everywhere. And I don't care in the, in the darkest council of the darkest nation among the darkest leaders you can think of who are seeking to do evil and, and have no need for God, don't want to acknowledge the true and the living God. That doesn't matter. We know that he's there. We know that he's there for some, sometimes to, as the scripture said that Ricky read this morning, to literally dis, to destroy the purposes of men in order to exalt his own purposes. But when they live without God, peace is not ever a reality. Now Jesus is concerned here that his disciples who have received the gift of eternal life, who have received the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit, who have the presence of Christ with them every day, He's concerned that we understand that we are to be known as peacemakers. That's why a, a, a peacebreaker who always trying to stir up contentiousness has no claim to being a son of God. That's why someone who is a peace faker who does on anything other than righteousness and truth has no grounds to be called a son of God. It's peacemakers and there are at least three things involved with this concept of peacemakers, I think, that you find in the Scripture, throughout the Scripture. First of all, a peacemaker must be one who has personally made peace with God. You can't be a peacemaker among people or anything else if you've not first personally made peace with God. You see, Paul made clear to the Roman Christians that, that the natural man, the natural woman, the person who is outside of Christ is, is at enmity with God. And we read that, and most of us probably say, well, what does enmity mean? Well, enmity means you're an enemy. 
you, you stand opposed to the living God. It may be, it may be like a, a Richard Dawkins who clearly states, I hate God, and I want nothing to do with God. There is no God. I mean, that, that's certainly standing at enmity with God. But it may be much more subtle than that. It may just be a passive lack of acknowledging, desiring you know, no, no part. Doesn't have to be angry at God. But a peacemaker must be one who has made peace with God. That's what Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 are all about. The new man, the new person that's been created, and they've been created because there is now peace with God. There, there has been the peace treaty signed. It was signed with the blood of Christ on the cross. And Paul makes that clear. It, indeed, Paul even makes clear in, in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about the armor of the believer that, that the Christians even have his feet shod with the gospel of peace. Because peace is captured in the gospel. No one finds peace with God except through the gospel of peace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that he came to proclaim. So the peacemaker must be one who has personally made peace with God. Secondly, the peacemaker is one who seeks to help others make peace with God. Now, I think this is primary. You know, again, we, we kind of make it more horizontal here many times. We, we talk about being a peacemaker, seeing two friends are at odds, we want to bring them together, and that's important. That's point number three. The real important thing is helping people come to a realization of their enmity with God and seeking others to make peace, to find peace with God. I, I could use two words here that would indicate what that is, and, and you would know them very well because we talk about them all the time. That's evangelism, and that's missions. That's sharing the gospel. And a real peacemaker is one who says, listen, I see a friend or I see a neighbor or I see somebody who, is not, who does not have peace with God, who is living a rebellious life and, and living apart from God. And my greatest passion, my greatest desire, because I love that person and I care about that person, is to help them find peace with God. That's what a peacemaker is about. And that's the most important part of peacemaking that you and I will ever engage in. That's the most important part of getting involved in this whole process that we will ever know. Helping others to make peace with God. That's what real peacemaking is. It's evangelism, it's missions, it's sharing the gospel. It's presenting the person of Jesus Christ. Now thirdly, I guess beyond that, there is the, the, the sense of a peacemaker helps others make peace with others. A peacemaker works to... To, to bring harmony among the, among the brethren. Again, not peace at any cost, but peace that's founded upon righteousness and peace that is founded upon truth and peace that is founded upon who God is. We could talk all day about why there's division. You know, why are there, uh, why are there so many different church groups? Why are there so many just Baptist groups? Why can't we all just get along? Well, for the most part, in some cases, because righteousness and truth are not reigning, and, the, and without righteousness and truth, you cannot have peace. 
my daughter was in Lexington the other Friday night and was visiting with friends and met some new friends and and he's one guy asked her I think he's a counselor or something in in, in Lexington said uh, well what are you doing here because she's from New York City or lives in New York City and and she said oh well I'm home visiting my family in Somerset and said oh Somerset what does your dad what does your dad do there and she said well he's a pastor and his comment was I'll bet he's a Baptist pastor because there are Baptist churches everywhere in that town. And he was right. And, and maybe, maybe that's indicative of the fact that we have not been real peacemakers. We, we've been peace fakers and peace breakers and, in many cases, and we, we really need to come back to focus on who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ's mission is and why we are called to be what we are called to be and who we're called to be as his disciples. Well, I know I'm out of time. I'll blame it on, on Jeff, yeah. Thank you. I was going to blame it on Brian, but I'll give it to you. There's one last thing, and I'll make this quick. And that is, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. We've seen what that means. But here's the, here's the privilege. For they shall be called sons of God. The word that Jesus uses here is a word that carries with it more than just a biological type of understanding of sonship or childhood. It, but it's this word that carries with it an intimacy. These who are peacemakers shall have the privilege of being called the sons and the daughters and the children of the living God. Not just, not just now in this life, but for all of eternity in heaven. For all of eternity in the presence of the Father. You know what a glorious joy it is that, that on the basis of, of God's grace and through the instrumentality of faith, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, what a great privilege it is that we know the adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God. And now Jesus just takes that and says it's on the basis of you being identified and known as a peacemaker because of that adoption, because of that work of God in your life that not only will you know that you are a son or a daughter of God, not only will you know that you are adopted in the family of God, not only will you know that reality, but others will recognize it also. There will be a family recognition. Ah, there's a son of God. There's a child of God. There's a person who has a, a, a kinship with me. I recognize that because the same God of peace has worked in my life and worked in their life and brought about peace together with us and we are in his presence rejoicing in the goodness of the, of the God of peace. I know that peace. I know the peace with God that comes from the War being stopped, the enmity being broken, and I know the peace of God that comes from that indwelling spirit. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, if you practice these things, the God of peace will, will dwell with you. The God of peace will make his presence known with you. The God of peace will show himself to you. God of peace will be with you. Every step of the way, every Every difficult time and every struggle, every economic downturn and every 
personal pain, whether it be a sickness or whether it be a family breakup or whatever it is, that when you, are, when you are known as a child of God, when you are a peacemaker, helping others find peace with God by sharing that reality and sharing that truth with them. The God of peace will guard your heart and your mind. So you see, peace is much more than absent of conflict. Peace is much more than just covering it over. Peace is much more than just acting like nothing's wrong. But real peace, genuine peace, is the work of Almighty God. First in your life, first in your heart, and then it begins to flow out. And your desire is to help others find that same peace. Help others know that same reality. To help others enter into that same relationship. That you, as a son or a daughter of God, are now experiencing. It's not enough just to rest in it. It's not enough just to say, I got it. But it's something that we are to be actively involved in in the lives of other people. Let's pray together. Father, we bow in your presence, acknowledging that you are God and King, acknowledging that you reign as we've sung about this morning, acknowledging, O oh Lord, that you are the one who brings peace and gives peace and causes peace. And Lord, it's only as we look to you and align ourselves with you that peace can become a reality. Father, give us peace. And give us peace that we might be able to share that peace with other people. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Mm. Thank you, Father for that great privilege, for that great gift, for your presence. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.